We do continue the series in Nehemiah. Today we'll be reading chapter 4, verses 15 to 23. So we'll finish up chapter 4 today. So let us give our attention to God's inerrant word. When our enemies heard that it was known to us that God had frustrated their plan, we all returned to the wall, each to his work. From that day on, half of my servants worked on construction and half held a spear, shields, bows, and coats of mail. And the leaders stood behind the whole house of Judah who were building on the wall. Those who carried burdens were loaded in such a way that each labored on the work with one hand and held his weapon with the other. And each of the builders had his sword strapped at his side while he built. The man who sounded the trumpet was beside me. And I said to the nobles and the officials and the rest of the people, the work is great and widely spread and we are separated on the wall far from one another. In the place where you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us there. Our God will fight for us. So we labored at the work. And half of them held the spear from the break of dawn until the stars came out. And I also said to the people at that time, let every man and his servant pass the night within Jerusalem, that they may be a guard for us by night and may labor by day. So neither I nor my brothers nor my servants nor the men of the guard who followed me, none of us took off our clothes. Each kept his weapon at his right hand. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are thankful for your word. Lord, we would be in the dark with no idea about you, um, how you've interacted through history, if not for your word. So we are grateful for it. Lord, it is my deep desire to now preach it to my brothers and sisters. Lord, I pray that your spirit would enable that. You would help me um, overcome my own flesh for their good, for your glory. I pray the same for them, that they too may overcome their flesh by your Holy Spirit, that your word would penetrate their hearts, uh, that it would be good soil for your seed to be planted, uh, that it may grow. We pray in the name of Christ. Amen. Amen. Well, on January 28th, 1986, um, I was in front of the TV with my family along with the rest of America. We watched as NASA uh, launched a space shuttle into, sh into space with their crew of seven. And notably in that crew was Krista McAuliffe, um, a school teacher. She had won a contest um, to go uh, on this mission. She would teach two lessons from space and then come back and travel the country for nine months um, telling about her experience in space. So it, um, the night before they launched, uh, there was a cold wave that swept through Florida uh, and there was ice all over the launch pad. And so that morning at 11.38 uh, a.m., they had delayed the launch to let the ice melt. Um, we watched in horror as that space shuttle exploded um, just uh, 73 seconds after liftoff. They had just told the, the pilot, Challenger, go to throttle up. Seconds later, it exploded. Well, what none of us knew was what happened the day before. The day before, engineers um, from the contract company known as uh, Thoikol, uh, they were responsible for the rocket uh, that exploded. Uh, some of the engineers were very concerned because they looked at the forecast. They knew it was going to be sub-freezing temperatures. And the O-rings in the rocket had never been tested below 53 degrees Fahrenheit. 
And so they expressed their concerns and uh, they were not heard. Their managers who actually had the power to do something wouldn't hear it. They were silent. There was a lot of pressure, a lot of dynamics going on. Um, So sad, so sad. So often um, silence um, is the easiest course of action. It seems to be less risk. They'd even actually, in one meeting, express their concerns, and then they had pressure put on them, so they went offline, had an internal meeting, came back, and, and removed their reservations, and they gave the all clear. And so uh, nothing was said in the final meeting at Kennedy Space Center um, with the certified safe-to-launch flight ready. So sad, isn't it? It's hard to ever stick our neck out. In the book of Nehemiah, we've seen in the first four chapters, Nehemiah's done the opposite, hasn't he? He is constantly sticking his neck out, right? They're in danger, and he steps into the fray over and over again. This is what we'll be looking at today. You see the outline on page seven. Very, very simple, but, but I think some important truths here. You see there, leaders trust God. Leaders speak. Leaders speak. Followers listen courageously. So first, leaders trust God. <clears throat> if you remember last week, uh, last week it was actually chapter four is all one story, and we cut it in half into two sermons. Um, if you missed that sermon, I encourage you, you can go back and listen to it. I don't, won't have time to cover very much of it. But there were three rounds of opposition, you might remember. Right before, the, all the Jews, they'd all worked on the city. It was really neat, exciting. But then all this opposition arises from every side, north, south, east, west. And... Um, And so you just see back and forth as Nehemiah turns to God, they pray, more opposition arises, even internally. I mean, the Jews had their doubts. And uh, so then we come to this passage. You remember the last week it ended, they're all in the lowest parts of the wall, uh, standing guard because they knew that uh, danger was imminent, right? They had made a plan. I'll read verse 11 from last week's passage. It says, our enemy said, they will not know or see will come among them and kill them and stop the work. Well, some word got out and some Jew found out and came and told them and say, posted a guard. So look at verse 15 as our passage begins here. It says, when our enemies heard that it was known to us, and listen to this, and that God had frustrated their plans. You know, Nehemiah could have said, I frustrated their plans, right? I found out and I had a plan. I set a guard, right? There's no mention in this passage of anything supernatural. There isn't. He got information and he posted a guard. Well, how do we know that God frustrated their plans? See, through our whole book so far, Nehemiah is constantly turning toward God. He understands that his real protection comes from God. And so he wisely says, God frustrated their plans, not not me, not the Jews. This is super important. I quoted this verse last week, so you get a second chance at it. Uh, Psalm 56, 3 and 4. When I am afraid... I put my trust in God. In God whose word I praise, in God I trust. I shall not be afraid. What can mortal man do to me or what can flesh do to me? So if that is an area that you struggle in, of fearing, fearing people, fearing situations, being anxious, I encourage you, jot down that reference. Psalm 56, 3 and 4. It's, It's been very helpful to me in my life. When I am afraid, I will, even kids, are you ever afraid? When I am afraid, I will trust in God. What do I have to be afraid of if God is with me? It's such great truth. Okay, so skip down to verse 20. So we see some planning. Those verses, we'll come back to those. But in verse 20, 
And so he sets up, they have trumpets. They say, hey, we're all spread out. If you hear a trumpet, rally there, verse 20. Look how he ends that verse. Our God will fight for us. Again, you see where his confidence lies. Good leaders trust in God. Our God will fight for us. This is, this is what gave him confidence to stick his neck out. Is this your confidence? Do you have this confidence that God is fighting for you? Think about that. Do you have a confidence? Of course, you're not in a war. You're not in that same situation. But you're anxious. You know that there are things that you worry about. You have need of God to help you. Are you confident that God is fighting for you? It's a very important question to answer. Romans 8.31 says, If God is for us, who can be against us? One preacher on this passage said this. He said, We are fighting a finished fight. Interesting thought, isn't it? We are fighting a finished fight. Fight. It's as if the, the fight is as good as over. Satan has already been defeated. It should that not give us confidence? So we'll, and then everyone, right, they respond. What gives them courage was not Nehemiah's plan. It was that Nehemiah pointed them up and said, God's going to fight for you. We'll come back to that in our third point, how they responded. But at this point, I want to make the point. No leader is worth his salt that does not have a big view of God. No leader is worth his salt who does not have a big view. You've got, this is true of leaders at any level. Those whose heart is confident that God really does love them, that God really is powerful. This point cannot be overstated. Elders and pastors are rightly called under shepherds. For those of you in officer training, under shepherds, right? We have a chief shepherd. Jesus is the chief shepherd. Your confidence is not in yourself. Or you're not training to be the confidence of the church. You're training that people would put their confidence in the bridegroom. Because it's the old way of saying the groom. Right? We're all the bride, and Jesus is the one who is the groom. He's the head of the church. We can only lead well as leaders if we're convinced that God is fighting for us. So our job is not to get people to put their hope in us as church leaders, but just to say, to remind people, God is fighting for you. There's a very different role there. We are the reminder, just like Nehemiah. To remind those. It's not just true of pastors. It's also true of fathers, husbands. Do you remind your family that God is fighting for you? Mothers, do you remind your children of this? That God is fighting for you. You know, it doesn't even have to be kids. Do you have a younger sibling? If you have a younger sibling, listen up. You too can remind a younger sibling. You know, little brother, you don't have to be afraid. Or little sister. God is with you. When you're scared going to sleep, God is with you. Isn't that cool? Even kids can do that. God is our commander. We must trust him. And so that gets to not only in our hearts, right? This isn't just an internal thing. It is. But then we have to speak, which is our second point. Leaders speak. This might sound very obvious. Of course, we're humans. We all speak. But my theory is that we now have two generations of males who have largely lost their voice. I grew up with sitcoms with a bunch of buffoon men and very capable women in them. I don't know if anyone else saw that on TV, but it's just pretty universal, right? A generations that have lost their voice, the courage to actually speak and to speak up. I want to share a story with you. I'm not <clears throat> proud of this story, um, but um, I lived in Charlotte. Before here, I was in Asheville. Before that, I was in Charlotte in seminary. And one day, I was driving home from uptown, uh, downtown Charlotte. I'm um, in rush hour traffic. 
And so you're gonna have to follow with me for traffic patterns here. And we've got four lanes with a center turn lane. I'm in the left lane. Um, traffic's all stopped. It's clear in the lane beside me. And so I, I give space for the guy to turn in front of me. And so I wave him on. And so just as this is happening, I see in my um, rear view mirror, my side mirror, a car flying up beside me. And I just freeze. And this car pulls across in front of me to get smashed by this other car. And thankfully, there's no one in that side of the car. Skid to a stop. I get out, check, make sure everyone's okay. I say, I'm so sorry that that happened. I couldn't, like, warn you. But I, I, I mean, still, I remember that for the past how many years it's been of just, it's hard to, that wasn't a speaking up. I, I could have honked. I could have done something to say, no, 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 don't go. I don't know if you've ever had moments like that. You know, sometimes silence is the easiest path. There's no danger. You just, I don't know what to do, so I do nothing. <clears throat> in uh, 2016, uh, NPR interviewed uh, Bob uh, Ebling. Um, he was an engineer with NASA with a contractor uh, to Kolkul. Um, and uh, 30 years after the Challenger disaster, this was 2016, he told his wife the night before, um, Darlene, it's going to blow up. He knew. He knew was gonna, he and four other engineers had tried to convince their manager to do something. Someone had power to do something. Nothing happened. And he, he still regretted it. I, I should have done more. There's something I could have done. Well, many of us live with regrets of what could be. So just remember the gospel. <laughs> right? So Mike, the, that car accident for Bob, who, who's in the article, said he was a religious man. And he, he still prays about it. Um, that uh, God is sovereign. Right? And even in our silence, even when um, things could have been avoided and we actually had the power and we didn't do it, remember the gospel. Remember God's sovereign. But it does make a good point, doesn't it? You know that, that speaking is an important part of leading. Speaking is an important part of leading. I, I mentioned this recently, um, the story of Esther. Remember her with Mordecai? Mordecai came to her and said, you are here for such a time as this. Right? There's eminent danger for the Jews. You've got to say something. Thankfully, she responded better than I did in traffic, or Bob did, or anyone in NASA, right? She spoke up. She stuck her, knuck at, her neck out and uh, spoke up for the Jews, and God did something great, right? Well, we see this over and over in Nehemiah, don't we? Though it's not easy to speak up. We've seen this. So let me just kind of give you a review. Going back in Nehemiah, remember chapter 2. First, remember at night, he, remember he, he went around and surveyed the wall. And then if you have your Bible or it's on your phone, look at chapter 2, verse uh, 17 and 18. He says this. This is what he says to the people. Then I said to them, you see the trouble that we're in, how Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates burned. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision. And I told them how the hand of my God had been upon me for good. And also the words the king had spoken to me. And they said, let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for the good work. You see, we see this pattern. That was chapter 2. Remember chapter 3? Remember the 81 Hebrew names? It's probably memorable for all of you. It's memorable for me. And the 41 groups of people all the way around the wall of Jerusalem are all working in response to Nehemiah's leading. He spoke. Now, we serve a God who can do anything, but he often uses means. He often uses the voice of humans who will actually speak, actually say what he once said. It's exactly what we saw in Nehemiah. We saw this last week, right? So everything was great. They're all working, but then all this opposition arises. 
This is from chapter 4, verse 14. I looked and I rose and said to the nobles and the officials and the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. Remember that? Isn't that a great verse? Who's great and awesome and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives and your homes. Right? With those words, it gave them courage to stand their ground speaking. Leaders speak. If you, only, if you don't remember anything else I say today, remember those two words. Leaders speak. Right now, as I said to you kids, it's not just for grown-ups. It's not just for pastors and fathers. It's for mothers. It's for children. Right? God has a place for all of us to speak. We see this over and over in Nehemiah. We even see it in our passage today. Look at verse 19 and 20. I said to the nobles and the officials and the rest of the people, the work is great and widely spread, and we are separated on the wall, far from one another. In the place where you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us there, our God will fight for us. Do you think that encouraged the Jews, gave them courage to stand their ground against opposition? Absolutely. Absolutely. Nehemiah is speaking. That's a brilliant strategy. You got these people all spread out, and you have limited means, and so you have a trumpet. And so when you hear the trumpet, everyone run over there. Very simple strategy. What would that look like today? Think about it. What would that look like today? I, mean, I don't have my phone in my pocket, but I want to introduce you to a, a new modern technology. It's called texting. I don't know if you've heard of this. It enables you, you can type something, and instantly it goes to someone else's phone. It's really amazing. You should try it sometime. Any, any of the teenagers? You already do a lot, I know. Um, here's what this looks like. Do you, so... You don't have trumpets, but we're all spread out. We don't work in the same places. Maybe we just don't live in the same places. But um, do you, what do you do when you feel like you're under attack? Like the Jews, when you're under attack, what's your trumpet to blow? I would advise you to use that new technology for something other than nonsensical jokes, right? But to actually text someone and say, hey, can you pray for me? I'm under attack right now. And whatever's going on. It is very, very effective. I do this all the time. So if you know this, some of you get texts from me, right? This is one of the functions of our missional communities. If you're in one, you know this. Many of our missional communities text each other about what they're struggling with, what they're worried about, anxious about, whatever's going on. We're like a family. If you're not in a missional community, we're actually starting two new ones today. You can talk to Jamie and Justine or uh, the Foxworths, uh, Russell and Jen, and they'll tell you, come visit one and uh, find out. You can be part of a family. It's a great way because we need that support, just like the trumpet in the days of Nehemiah. It's a, just to lean on each other. And I, and I guarantee if you aren't doing that, it's not because you aren't struggling. It's because you're fighting alone. And so, you know, another way to look at this is fathers. Do you ever tell this to your wife and your children? You know what? I'm here for you. If I can ever be an encouragement to you, or you ever feel like you're anxious about something, I'd love to pray for you, honey, or kids. Right? Isn't that what Nehemiah did? He said, here's a trumpet. Blow it if you need help, and we'll come running. This is a great way we can do that. Look, Nehemiah speaks again in verse 22. He said, let every man and his servant pass the night within Jerusalem. So Nehemiah just constantly is coming up with plans. He says, we'll be a guard for each other. Nehemiah comes up with plans and then speaks them. 
Now, why is this point so, so important? The reason that I need to make a big deal out of this is because your father failed. Well, I'm actually talking about your first father, Adam. Do you remember that story in Genesis when Adam and Eve, it's familiar, kids, you even know this story. Remember the serpent came to Eve and tempted her and said, eat the what, kids? The fruit, right? And then this, you read this in Genesis 3, 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and the, the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took its fruit and ate. And she gave some to her husband who was there. Her husband who was with her and he ate. No way. You mean Adam was standing there the whole time? Yep. What's recorded that Adam said? Nilch. He said nothing. He stood there silently while this serpent is lying to his wife and deceiving her, and he doesn't do a thing. And then follows her in that sin. This is how your father failed. We have inherited that silence. I struggle with it. You struggle with it. We're silent. We're silent when we should speak up. He should have cut the head off the snake, shouldn't he, kids? He should have at least said something to his wife, like, don't listen to that serpent. Husbands, you still need to say that. The serpent is still lying to your wife and saying all kinds of crazy things. You need to say, don't listen to that serpent. Right? It's part of our role. But ever since Adam, we haven't done so hot with that. And so this point cannot be overstated. Leaders speak. Wherever you are. <clears throat> to any um, young men, single men, uh, let me just remind you of this that uh, the best determiner of future behavior is present behavior. So if you think you want to do this in the future, and you say, that'll be easy when I'm married, I don't have a, a family right now, I encourage you now, begin to do this. Find opportunities that God wants you to speak into, whatever age you are. If that's the only way you're going to do it in the future. It will, it will actually get much harder when you're married and have a family. You know, another angle on this is, um, there's kind of two ways to look at this. You know, one is from like warning people, like something bad is going to happen, like with the car or with the um, NASA uh, space shuttle. But another way is, is even just um, speaking in and encouraging. We've talked about that, right? How Nehemiah um, puts wind in their sails, right? And it builds them up. And this is true for all, for you know, husbands, you need to do this for your families. Wives, you need to do this for your husbands. Um, your voice um, matters more than any other human to your husband. If you, don't, if you don't believe me, just ask him. You have an incredible power. Use it very wisely. So we all, God's called us all to be leaders, right, and to speak. I want to give you another example. This is, you know, we all aren't captains in the world. Uh, so this is another illustration. This was first told to me at church planner training. Um, a Korean brother told me, you know, we all struggle. We're all Americans. Many of us are. And uh, you struggle with this, men. And he told me about what it's like for Koreans. He said, there is such a phenomenon in Korea for pilots, airline pilots, that um, the, there's this, they're very, very hierarchical. Not only Korea, um, Japan, many other Asian countries. Right, this huge hierarchy. You know, we, don't, we have less of that here, and still we struggle to be silent. 
Right? And he said there was such an issue, like between 1970 and the 90s, there were a lot of crashes of Korean airliners. They looked into it, and oftentimes it was co-pilots who were so afraid to speak up to their boss. And so they said nothing. The plane would, in San Francisco crashed into a seawall. Another one ran out of gas. I mean, just crazy things that co-pilots watched and obviously knew what was happening, but they, they couldn't, the hierarchy, the hierarchy in their culture. And he, he shared this with church planners to say, understand cultural differences, the challenges we face. So, in a, so if you think you have it hard, there's even cultures that have it way harder than us, right? And so it, it's not just captains. At every level, God calls us to speak, to speak up when we see something that needs to be said. Nehemiah knew there was danger and disaster. And rather than just kind of stepping back or like me just freezing in the moment, he always stepped forward. Haven't we seen that? Every time he steps right into the fray, he says, hey, this is what's going to happen. Here's what we're going to do. Here's our plan, and we're going to trust God. God is fighting for you, right? Isn't that how he acts over and over? Well, let me give you an even better example. Nehemiah is good. There's somebody that's great. Kids, you can probably guess who it's going to be. It's going to be Jesus. Jesus was brilliant at this. Jesus was always speaking life into people around him. Let me give you a few examples. John 16, he said, I've said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you're going to have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Would that be encouraging to the disciples? Absolutely. That he said with confidence, I've overcome the world. Men, you can't say that. But you can say, Jesus overcame the world, right? Moms, you can say that to your kids. You have Jesus, right? He's, he's cute in the Bible stories, but he's really, really strong. He's going to take care of you. You don't have to be afraid. Jesus did this over and over. I'll give you another example. This is Mark 13, 11. He said, and when they bring you to trial and deliver you over, do not be anxious beforehand what you are to say, but say whatever is given to you in that hour. For it will not be you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. That's really encouraging. Because they were, they were drugged into court over and over again. And I guarantee they remembered those words of Jesus. See, words are remembered, both good and bad. Words are remembered. And it's easy for us to speak when we're angry, right? We all do that very easily. We speak into situations. They aren't always life-giving, but we speak. But the other times when it's most needed, that times it's easy to be silent, isn't it? Jesus didn't do that. Over and over, he speaks. He says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. I'm coming back again. Okay, so that gives us courage to follow courageously, and that brings us to our third and final point. So that was more on leaders. What about following? Followers listen courageously. You see in 15 to 18, look at our passage again. He said, God frustrated their plans. They all returned to work. And how are they working? They're working with a hammer in one hand and a sword in the other, right? That nothing will stop these guys. Their commitment to press forward is uncanny because what is their confidence in? Not Nehemiah, but God. If your confidence is God, you can follow on. You can move on even in, under great pressure. So think about, think about today. <clears throat> think about today. Do you have a, a sword strapped to your side, spiritually speaking? We read, and I read this verse last week, 2 Corinthians 10, 4, for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, not of the world, but have divine power to demolish strongholds. Kids, you ever heard of the armor of God? 
For that, the armor of God, it's in Ephesians 6. It says this, verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil. Therefore, take, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand. I know this sounds silly, but don't fight naked. Don't fight naked, right? You should not. You need to put on spiritual protection. They didn't even take it off their clothes. They always kept their armor with them. They kept their weapon with them. Because they, what did they understand? We are at war. Are you at war? Do you believe that you are in a spiritual battle for your own heart, the heart of your children, for your neighbors? There absolutely is a war going on. So we probably should armor up. They worked from daybreak all the way till the stars came out. Normally you stop at the sun goes down. But they're so committed, they're working all the way into the evening. How could they do this? It's because their leader, because Nehemiah had pointed them to God. Their confidence was in him. I quoted this verse last week. I, I really like this verse. I've been using it a lot recently in conversations and in sermons because um, it's so good. So here it is again. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Um, one of the benefits is, uh, is looking to those who've gone before us. Right? How do you have confidence? They had confidence in Nehemiah. They had, Nehemiah pointed them to God. And so in uh, Hebrews 12, he says this. He says, um, Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses— Anyone know what Hebrews 11 talked about? It's called the, the hall of faith, right? The great, so it's all these men who followed God with courage. And he says, because you are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles us and run the race marked out for us with perseverance. That sounds encouraging. But he, then he says how to do it. This is the key part. Looking to Jesus, fixing your eyes on Jesus. The only way you can do this stuff is by keeping your eyes on Jesus. If you look at your problems, the health problems, the relational problems, whatever they are, you will become discouraged. I guarantee it. You must fix your eyes on Jesus. How do you do that? You come to church, you read your Bible, right? All the normal stuff, you go to missional community, you send texts to each other and say, pray for me, right? It helps us keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. It's the only way that we'll be able to follow. It also, recent reading missionary biographies is a great way to do this. I'll give you one. You can jot it down or look it up on Amazon. King of the Cannibals, the story of John G. Patton. King of the Cannibals. Um, kids, if you're very young, you might not read this right before you go to sleep, but it's very exciting. You will not get bored, I promise you. We read this to our kids when they were younger. Right? It just gives you courage. Not because I want to be a great man like John G. Patton, right? But it's, or like Nehemiah. It's their God. See, the hero of this book is not Nehemiah. It's definitely not Nehemiah. The hero of this book is God. This is what gives us courage. Reading the Old Testament full of stories gives you courage because you see God showed up. Do you believe that God's still showing up? Will he show up for our church, for your family, in your life? Absolutely. Absolutely. As we wrap up, I just remind you that verse 20. Our God will fight for us. Our God will fight for us. He's fighting this very day. He's fighting to advance this church and this community. He's fighting for your marriage, for your kids. 
God is still fighting. The question is if we're aware of it. I just, I don't want us to be like Adam. I don't want us to be like Adam. I don't want us to be silent when we should speak. You can't do this on your own. And so I close with these words. I already read them, but it's worth reading twice. This is from Mark 13, 11. Jesus said this, your only hope at whatever age you are, as kids, adults, wherever you are, your only chance of actually being able to speak up when you need to is this. Jesus said, and when they bring you to trial and deliver you over, do not be anxious beforehand what you're say. Do you ever feel like I don't know what to say? Absolutely. So do the disciples. This is what Jesus said. But say whatever is given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but it's who, who is speaking. It is the Holy Spirit. If you are a Christian, the Holy Spirit lives in you. Do not quench that spirit. But speak. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you that you have been raising up very broken men, women, children throughout all of history to speak, to speak on your behalf, to speak courage, to point people to you. Lord, I pray that we may be a people that do that. Lord, I particularly pray for the men. We have our father, our father Adam's inheritance, which has not been helpful to us. Lord, I pray that you would break us free and you would help us speak by your Holy Spirit. I pray the same for mothers and children the same. Lord, please help. Lord, thank you that you are. Thank you that you are fighting for us. May our confidence never be in ourself, but may it be the great and awesome God. We pray in your name, Jesus. Amen.